As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This week we asked the question, is the scientific community disclosing all they know about different planets, ancient Earth, and the UFO phenomenon that continues to grow day by day? This week we welcome the return of Mary A. Joyce, the investigative journalist who has written a new book, Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. This is a very detailed look at what we are told in the face of great evidence for ancient civilizations, ETs on our planet, and ruins on the moon and Mars. All this and more today on Earth Ancients. Saturday, July 30th, 2022, this is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Is it that time again? Is it that time of the week? Yeah, it's Earth Ancients time. It's the Earth Ancients podcast uh, hosted by yours truly. And uh, I hope you're manifesting or have been manifesting uh, a good week, and uh, you are ready to sit down and take in a new podcast uh, with yours truly. Hey, there are rumblings in the academic community that are fairly significant right now. I received a um, significant email with attachments by a scientist, a mathematician named Mario Buildreps, and he is putting the archaeological community on their ear with his new data. 
Now, he is claiming and showing it through a number of mathematical probabilities that the ancient world is significant, significantly older than what is being reported. In fact, they are in the middle of a new book, and uh, this is apparently going to be released next year. We're gonna, by the way, we're gonna have Mario on the program. It looks like this fall, uh, we're squeezing him in, in as, as soon as we can. But what he has done, and his uh, team of scientists are using uh, mathematical probabilities and theorems to calculate the age of hundreds of ancient buildings, monuments, pyramids around the world and dating them on the uh, angle or the cardinal points that they were created on and lining those up with the current North Pole, but also discovering that there are four additional for a total of five pole shifts that have been going on now for tens of thousands of years. And he just sent me a, a video of Chichen Itza. Now, Chichen Itza is one of the best-known Mayan cities in Mexico, Yucatan, Mexico. I've been there numerous times. I've taken uh, tour groups there, and we have visited the various uh, buildings and uh, temples uh, and ball courts. It is a beautiful place. I got this video of the new calculations for Chichen Itza, and the dates that uh, Mario and his other team of scientists are getting is, can you believe this? Two 170,000 years ago is the inception date. Now, they're not saying that the current buildings that we see today, especially the El Castillo, which is the, the castle, the main pyramid at Chichen Itza, they're not saying that these buildings are all 270,000 years. But what a lot of people don't know is that Chichen Itza, uh, or excuse me, El Castillo, the main pyramid, is built in three periods. There's a uh, the outer shell, which is so many thousands of years old. Then there's a second pyramid. And then there's a third pyramidal shape that they have just discovered in the last few years. And according to Mario, this is one of the original positioning temples that he believes dates to 270,000 years. Now, Obviously, this can't be the Maya. My issue with this, and I don't, I don't have, I mean, it, it, the number is mind-blowing. The, the number is hard for me to get my mind around. Honestly, if you were to poke me and say, Cliff, what do you believe the inception date was for Chichen Itza and northern Yucatan? I would have to say around 28,000 years the reason I know this is if, if you if you know this, the reason I theorize this, that's better, uh, is that if you read Casey, Edgar Casey, if you, as I have, are mentored by the natives, uh, the day keepers, the uh, shaman and current day scientists, a day keeper is a, is a, a calendar astronomer, they're scientists, if you consult them, most of them will say that the uh, Maya 
came from Atlan in the Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean. Now, you can decipher that any way you want. Is it that Atlantis? Whatever. Uh, but the other thing that's really important is, and we've had people on the show talking about this, is that approximately 28,000 years ago, there was a huge migration from the place known as Mu, which is also known as Lemuria. They came through Mexico uh, and settled up into the southern part of the United States, but a number of them eventually uh, morphed into what is known as the Toltec. And one of the later phases of uh, Chichen Itza is dominated by the Toltec uh, culture. We see it in their stylistic buildings. We see it in um, uh, Tula, uh, which is in Mexico. That temple with those huge figures in Tula are very reminiscent to a lot of the figures we see in Chichen Itza. So I'm easier. I feel it better about 28,000 years ago. Now, when Mario sent me this uh, <laughs> this video, he makes a strong, strong case not only for Chichen Itza, but for Teotihuacan in Mexico City, for the Great Pyramids, for many, many, many ancient cultures that we recognize today as being either from forgotten civilizations or from races or cultures that we are somewhat familiar with. Now, again, we're going to have Mario on the program in the fall to tell us specifically what he means by pole shifts. If you remember, we've had Dr. Mark Carlotto come on and he wrote a book called Before Atlantis. And he talks about the same thing. What makes Mario's conclusions and his team uh, believe that the dates are significantly older by tens of thousands of years? I mean, Chichen Itza at 270,000 years is just mind-blowing. When you see these these videos he's put out, and by the way, I'll post a couple on the Facebook page, you will understand uh, where he gets these numbers from. It's it's so mind-blowing <laughs> that uh, all I can do is giggle and uh, be excited at the same time. Because if they can actually do as, they, as, as they're saying, as they're suggesting, this means a complete paradigm change. And this is something that, if it happens, I've been looking forward to for for decades, simply because the current scientific method, the current paradigm of scientific uh, research is flawed when it comes to historical dates, when it comes to uh, historical events, and most importantly, when it comes to understanding the various cultures that have come before us. The scientific method just fails miserably. And, I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. In this new book I'm writing, The Maya Controversy, the first chapter goes into the, the, the massive failings of the archaeological community. Here we have six million living Maya. Many of them are, are uh, scientists. Many of them are still following the calendars. And they have systematically refused to interview, to talk with, to collaborate with these Mayan elders to learn about the Mayan people. What we get are theories, are guesstimates. Yes, 
we have deciphered in part the classic Maya language. Uh, we've deciphered it. We can read the, some of the stele. We can read some of the codices. We can read some of the wall uh, hieroglyphics and paintings. But what people don't understand is that there were two phases of the Maya. There were the, the first Maya, the very early period that is uh, dated around 6000 BC and before. And when we talked to Richard Hansen, Dr. Hansen, who's in El Miador, Guatemala, excavating that place, he is working and excavating the largest American pyramids in the world, on the continent, I should say. And we don't understand this first phase, uh, Maya. We, don't, we have not deciphered their, their language. They appear to be highly sophisticated. In fact, it looks like the classic Maya, the classic period Maya, took a great deal of their science, uh, civic, hydraulics, and either enhanced them the best they could or followed them following uh, a few thousand-year break between the early Maya, I call them the pre-Maya, and the later period. Now, these pre-Maya are the ones, I believe, that uh, Mario... Buildrips is referring to that go back 270,000 years. This the idea that they have come up with these numbers is just in many ways it's wonderful, it's kind of uh exciting, but it's also scary <laughs> because I don't want them to fail, I don't want them to go up with their data and all of a sudden someone says, You know, you're completely out of your mind. Because uh, I am not a mathematician. I am not a scientist. I think log as logically as I can. But when it comes to uh, theorems, mathematical theorems, and uh, developing software to measure the great age of these uh, ancient people around the world, I can only surmise that it's accurate. I have to look at the data as closely as possible and make sense out of it. Now, I've been still working with Mark Carlotto and his material, and trying to get my mind around that. And, uh, I mean, this goes all the way back to Charles, Dr. Charles Hapgood, who came up with this uh, Earth-crustal displacement, the continents moving over periods of time. In fact, his theory was so strong that uh, Albert Einstein endorsed him, endorsed his theory. And I think even... Uh, suggested he continue his research because it was so convincing. I'm thinking that this team of scientists that are working with uh, Mario uh, Buildreps is on to something. Is it, again, it's exciting. It is profound. But where does it lead us? How do we begin looking at the past if these early people, and we're talking Egyptians as well, what, what, what happens when we start looking back 270,000 years? This means, if it's true, that not only does our history change, but our understanding of our own personal evolution. Now, Mario says that 400,000 years ago, the Homo sapiens sapiens were building uh, sophisticated buildings. I don't, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to asking them questions about that because look, those early Homo sapiens sapiens are 
beating rocks together are, are the true hunter gatherers, you know. <laughs> Are they building buildings? Well, we don't know. I mean, look, Gobekli Tepe is dated to 12,000 years ago. That still feels something logical. But I'll tell you, there are a lot of scientists that are still upset about Gobekli Tepe because they can't get their mind around 12,000 years ago. What are these poor souls going to do when someone goes, yes, 270,000 years ago, the early Primaya built Chichen Itza? 400,000 years ago, Homo sapiens sapiens were out building temples and had agriculture. We don't know. But my point is, this is a radical departure. And if it happens, it could be a renaissance for uh, understanding our historical past. And it's exciting to consider. Here is a short audio from uh, Mario on the dates for Chichen Itza, how these pole shifts, these, these continental shifts are measured, and how we can discern that Chichen Itza is 270,000 years old. So let's have a quick listen. Today I want to tell you something more about Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza is one of the largest ancient sites in the Americas with about 46 monuments on it, from small to large. We measured all 46 monuments on the orientation. Curious is that all monuments on Chichen Itza are clockwise oriented. And the odds are surprisingly low that this pattern can occur just by chance. The orientation pattern on Chichen Itza seems to be chaotic, but that appears not to be true. The orientations are between 0 and plus 27 degrees. There are many theories devised about the Pyramid of Kukulkan that a snake descends during the summer solstice. But no one ever wondered why this pyramid is oriented the way it is and why there are two similar-oriented smaller pyramids inside. Because the superstitious religious offspring of the original builders renovated the pyramid many thousands of years later, leaving the original orientation of the foundation intact. But how old is Chichen Itza really? If you know about a theory, you know about the five poles the poles 1 to 5. Pole 1 is our current geographic pole. It's not the magnetic pole, it is the pole around which the Earth spins, called the geographic pole or the spin axis. We also discovered four other geographic poles, pole 2, pole 3, pole 4 and pole 5 we have an approximate location of pole 6. The ages and the positions of the poles 1 to 5 are proven. Pole 1 is the easiest pole to find because it is our current geographic pole. Ancient monuments like the Pyramids of Giza are oriented to our current pole 1. 
to prove the other propositions, we have collected a massive database of virtually all ancient monuments around the world and their orientation patterns have guided us to these five propositions. Well, it appears that the monuments on Chichen Itza are overwhelmingly oriented to the pole 1 to 4. 37 of the 46 monuments, I repeat, 37 of the 46 monuments on Chichen Itza are oriented to these relative small areas of the ancient poles. And to prove that we are right in our claims, we have built a special simulation tool that uses an advanced simulation technique called Monte Carlo simulations. The image you see here shows 10,000 simulations. One dot represents one simulation and we ran multiple of these simulations after another. You see here how rare it is that 31 of the 46 monuments can coincidentally match the pole positions. That occurs only one to two times every 10,000 simulations. The chances that 32 monuments coincidentally can match the pole positions are even more rare. Imagine how slim the odds are that 37 monuments can coincidentally match the pole positions. What does this prove? It proves that the orientations on Chichen Itza are no accident. Their orientations follow the poles 4 up to 1 with a probability of almost 100%. I must say that Chichen Itza's monuments might have been renovated many times upon the much older foundations and so they might appear not so very old. But the fact is that the original orientation of the foundations reveals their actual true age. You see here a series of simulations and notice how impossible it is for 37 orientation to occur by accident. This is the ultimate proof that the first building activity on Chichen Itza started around 270,000 years ago. Chichen Itza follows the movement of the migrating geographic pole that is ultimately caused by expansion of the Earth. The crust of the Earth rewraps itself every time after an expansion cycle. And this caused the spin axis relative to the crust to change. You can find more of our work on Patreon. You can follow us and support our work on Patreon. If you subscribe to the tier Unlock Secret Content or higher, you receive a password to unlock articles on our website, which is only for members. Thank you for watching. Bye-bye. For those of you who want more information, you can go to MarioBuildReps.com. It's B-U-L, excuse me, B-U-I-L-D-R-E-P-S. Or go to Facebook, go to Earth Ancients. I'll have the main website available with 
his uh, calculations and the team identified, although they don't give their real names, he will be presenting multiple videos on this website. There's a few that are up already. But, uh, you know, I think what he, he basically does is he, he's going through the best known ancient sites like the Giza Plateau, where the uh, Great Pyramid, the Khufu Pyramid is, uh, Teotihuacan in Mexico, Chichen Itza, and so on. He lists uh, some of the well-known ones. And then he's going to begin sprinkling the other ones in and showing how they're aged. <laughs> so fascinating, fascinating topic. And uh, I'll be talking about this more as I get the details of what they have discovered, how they're releasing it to the scientific community, because this is going to cause a major storm and upset a lot of uh, tenured people. <laughs> I laugh because those are the guys that need to be shaken up. So looking forward to uh, having Mario uh, Bill Rips on the program to talk about the ancient past. Our program today is with Mary A. Joyce. The book she just wrote is Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. This is a fun interview. This book is the first uh, major book that she's published with really beautiful color uh, photographs of some of these uh, uh, objects that she's featuring. And uh, it's going to be fun with her today. So again, Spy in the Sky with Mary A. Joyce is uh, coming right up. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
I'm always on the lookout for references and information on the anomalies that are out there. One of the real good ones is Sky Ships Over Cashiers. We've had the editor, Mary Joyce, with us over the years, and uh, she has come out with a new book called Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond that uh, is outstanding on many, many levels. Let me just tell you about Mary. She has worked for two metropolitan newspapers, the Orlando Sentinel in Florida, as well as the Oakland Press uh, in Michigan as the Sunday uh, magazine editor. I consider her a investigative journalist on many, many levels. We've had her on and off the program covering a number of subjects. And this book I wanted to highlight not only because of the content, but because Mary tends to bring a lot of uh, good material to bear and, and has a good sense of what is solid material and what is less solid and more frivolous. So, hey, Mary, welcome back. Good to hear from you. How are you? It's great to hear your voice again. <laughs> it's been a while. All right. Well, hey, what was the um, motivation for, for developing this book? Um, like with all the books that I've done, I never started out to write them. And what's happened is with this website that I edit and do the research for, we've collected so much information and discovered so many things. And um, it, I, I got so much, I thought people need to know this because this material isn't anywhere else. And I should start right from the very beginning. This book is not your typical book that you and I might be talking about. Mm-hmm. It is high on photos and it's a larger format i deliberately have focused on the photos because it is evidence um of the cover-ups and of the secrets and of the ancient things that are not being talked about at all and the the things that are in this book you will not find other places uh if you do it would just be a snippet of it um um, the idea is that the photographs are evidence and they're evidence that these things are real. Mm-hmm. And there's only three pages in the whole book that don't have photos. Yeah. I really like the, the amount of photos you have. Isn't it great what uh, satellite imagery can do for us now, isn't it? It really clarifies a lot of questions and, and really fines tune, fine tunes the, uh, the answers, doesn't it? And this is something that all of your listeners need to know. They can get Google Earth Pro. Doesn't cost them a dime. And you can scan Mars. You can scan any place on the Earth. You can scan the moon. It's amazing what you can find. Now, you're not immediately going to have success. I have spent literally years using this kind of tool looking for things. And and once in a while, I've gotten really lucky. Uh, But the tool is available to anyone. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And the amazing thing about uh, Google Earth Pro is it used to be about $200 a month. Up until a few years ago, it was so expensive. I only had the Google Earth because uh, I didn't want to pay that. But they have made the professional version uh, with all its bells and whistles and attributes available for free. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. I'm very, very grateful for that. It's a wonderful, wonderful tool. Right. All right. Let's delve into this this amazing book. Let's get into Antarctica first. This is an area that I have been fascinated in. We we've had a few people glaze over it and and talk about things. I think Mike uh, Ciala 
was one. Uh, but I, I'm curious, what is the fascination with Antarctica? Uh, I don't get any credit for starting to explore this. There is a, a young woman, um, I think she was 49 when she had a stroke, which is certainly not an age you would expect to have that. Mm. She's doing so much better now, but she was bedridden for a, a long time. And she started using Google Earth. And just about a year ago, she began looking at Antarctica. And it took her four months before she finally found the ruins of an ancient city. and. I, I show all these pictures in the book, but there is a crack that she found in the ice and she delved into it. And there was this sprawling city, like a city would be developed along a river. And it looks like a metropolitan area. And after that, I began to do my own exploring. And uh, between the two of us, I think we found five different um, ruins in Antarctica. This is really significant. According to almost all the scientists, that continent has been covered up with ice for about 34 million years. That means that if the ice is now melting and these things are now being revealed, we are talking truly ancient, ancient civilization. And um, compare it to the Great Pyramid. Um, I think the Great Pyramid's like um, 2,600 plus years ago, uh, mm -hmm. B.C., that's less than 5,000 years. Compare 5,000 years to 34 million. We are talking truly old things that are being discovered. And we first posted one of those um, in, or, let's say, last fall. And uh, since then, we've found the other sites. Yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at uh, the, the page that I guess Mary Hall sent. And... It, it's very detailed in some respects, but but I, I guess what we're looking at is the uh, the shells of the buildings. Uh, I'm looking at this called the second city it found in Antarctica. So how many cities in all has she found? Uh, between the two of us, we found um, five. I, I think she found two, and I found three. I don't know. I didn't keep it score. I didn't keep score that way. But mm -hmm. um, um, I just find it mind boggling. And, yeah, and this is more, and and I have the um, coordinates for all of these. So again, if somebody has Google Pro or even Google, playing Google Earth, you can take those coordinates and go find these things for yourself. Yeah. And if, and if anybody is exploring the planet, uh, or they need to have the button ready on their keyboard uh, where you can print the screen that's right. on your computer, right? Because um, many times I've found things, and the famous they don't want us to let that out and uh it'll be blurred erased disappeared uh it will disappear in a very short amount of time you know i i've had run into that on on my own when looking for uh, ruins in mexico uh and and being and, and seeing them in other earlier photographs and then for some reason they're gone why are they eliminating these images uh mary why would they take them out you know, when I when we uh, deal with Mars, I can understand that for some reason they don't think mankind is ready to know about what's going on on that planet. Yeah. Sometimes I think they might be right because I'm not at all impressed with the uh, level of intelligence that we keep seeing in recent years. But anyhow, why they would want to cover up ancient ruins um, is a puzzlement. Is it simply because the things you're discovering, the things I'm discovering um destroy the history that uh, has been presented for so long and they don't want to have to change things. 
uh, I just can't imagine a good reason to hide it. Hmm. Have Can you, you have you, you submitted them to anyone who is in an authority position or a prominent archaeologist to see what they have to say about some of these uh, discoveries? I haven't. The book, just as you know, just came out at the very, very end of June. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really thought too much beyond it getting done. And uh, now I've come up for air and um, and beginning to let people know about it. But no, I'm not. <laughs> I, I you, you have to lock yourself up for a while. I, it was. Uh, I even got a. My shoulder even got sore. I was using the mouse so much. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, it's fascinating. Once you start using Google Earth, is it gets very addicting because uh, you'd be surprised what you find. Talk a little bit about these um, these uh, entrances into the interior of Antarctica. Uh, I've heard for years that, um, in fact, I heard uh, a reproduction from Linda Moulton Howe on what two ex-military said was the entrance to it. Well, they say it was an ET uh, interior, but what do you? What do? What is your understanding? Um, I think it was back in 2017. Uh, again, using Google Earth Pro, I found two entrances into Mars. And the larger of the two would certainly be big enough for any plane that we have or any jet that we have um, to fly into. So it's not small. It seems like it's around 300 feet wide. I'm sorry. I'm talking about Antarctica. I am, too. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) You caught me off guard when you said Mars. I'm I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Oh, I I went off on how, you know, why they might hide stuff on Mars, but uh, why they hide stuff in Antarctica and why they hide uh, things beneath the ocean. Um, I, I do not know. It doesn't make sense to me. Uh, I think mankind can handle it. Anyhow, we're definitely talking about an entrance into Mars. Within a day or two of posting that on the website, that was in 2017, it's like somebody picked up a bottle of black India ink and poured it all over the larger, over the entrances. And it, it, this began to disappear in steps. And so wow. that was the second step. The, the third step was you could see where the two entrances were, all covered in black, but they still said hollow earth entrance one and hollow earth entrance two. Then that disappeared. And ultimately, they turned the whole, er- the whole area into nothing but a snowfield. Hmm. But that was by steps. Apparently, it wasn't enough just to uh, black it out the first time. So they actually went in there with some kind of a photo editing tool and actually whitewashed the whole area, right? Right. They just wiped it out. Did you have a sense of how big the, the like uh the, the first entrance, how how big is it? The first entrance is the smaller one and it's at an angle so it makes it very very difficult to use the Google Earth tool to measure it. Um, it's the awning, which it seems to have a metal awning over it. At least that's what it looks like. And that's about 116 feet across. But the larger entrance is 300 feet across. And our largest planes um, are, the wingspan is usually less, much less than that. Wow. So the the second entrance was big enough for a piece of uh, uh, an airplane or some other equipment that could get into the underground uh, chambers. What right. do we know? And they, even, and they even briefly labeled it Hollow Earth Entrance 1 and 2. So that didn't stay there very long, but they briefly did that. I guess the word got out too quick, and, and the authorities felt that uh, they didn't want to reveal that, so they quickly began covering it up. Huh? Within, uh, my, my, I'm sorry. Theory, my theory on that is that there is an <laughs> active entrance 
and they don't want that to be uh, revealed or exposed because that entrance is being used. Oh, for military or for research? I don't know. I don't know if it's, um, we have a, we know for a fact that uh, there is cooperation between some ETs and humans. So we don't know if those are human craft or ET craft that might fly in and out of there. Well, there you go. You, you spilled the beans, uh, Mary, ETs. Now, what's your feeling? What, what's the, um, what are the rumors about an ET, uh, human, earth human collaboration in the Antarctic area? Well, I can do better than just rumors. Back in December of 2020, uh, Hyman Ashid, who was the head of Israeli uh, space security for nearly 30 years, made a statement after all that time in the Jerusalem Post, which is a respected newspaper. And he, um, I'm going to quote just a couple lines from this because I think it's important. One of the lines that pops out at me is, there's an agreement between the U.S. government and the aliens. That was one of his statements. Another one, there's an underground base in the depths of Mars where their representatives are and also our American astronauts. And a third thing that he made in that statement, uh, the UFOs have asked not to be published that they are here. Humanity is not ready yet. So that's from a man who has a, uh, an impeccable reputation. So I take that one step beyond just your ordinary rumors. Uh, yeah. Prof- you, you mentioned professor uh, Ashid. What, how did he gain that information? Was he part of a consortium of scientists or. His title was Israel's security space uh, director. All right. Mm-hmm. Now the extent of the meaning of that, I cannot elaborate on. I really don't know. But uh, it would indicate he was in the know with space development. You know, whenever I hear that uh, the ETs say we're not ready, it just doesn't ring to me at all. And uh, you've been one who's been researching this topic for, for years, Mary. And I'm just curious, when is first contact? I mean, we have we have a lot of... Uh, uh, of clarity from people like Dr. A.V. Loeb of Harvard, who is purposefully not signing non-disclosure agreements with the U.S. Space Command because he wants to be able to publish his imagery uh, to the general public. But when when we hear that the aliens are saying we're not ready yet, what does that make you? Does that, that it seems like it's that's the same narrative we've been hearing for decades. Um, I have two feelings in the very beginning. I absolutely thought this is the stupidest thing to try to keep this from mankind. And then every once in a while, I'll put something on our website. And it's amazing the people who come out of the woodwork who, in my opinion, are thinking in the dark ages. And um, so I don't know if we're ready or not. They are, there are those out there, and more than I would like to think, who are into uh, devils and demons. And, and uh, they can't see beyond uh, that kind of black and white. They go back to... Uh, almost primitive times. So now I wonder, gee, is there such a large portion of our population that really aren't ready for this? I don't know. So you think I think you are. I think you are. I think I am. I've been ready for years. (laughs) I think you're ready too. (laughs) Yeah, we started this website in 2008 and we're still working at it. (laughs) Disclosure, by the way, is in my opinion, never going to come from the government. They will only reveal what they're forced to reveal. 
And we have to depend on independent researchers and people who are brave enough to uh, blow the whistle. Now, well, one of I, I mean, I, I'm one of these people who believes that the NASA JPL U.S. Space Command is going to be outed by the Chinese, uh, especially on Mars or, or the moon when they put their own rover there and they bump into a temple and all of a sudden it's like, well, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, we, we can only hope the truth keeps coming out and it does yeah. keep coming out, you know, and people yeah. are getting prepared in um, significant ways, sometimes quite silly ways. Uh, there's a commercial I've seen recently where a child is advertising or drinking almond milk and fixing a cereal and um, up comes a cute little cuddly uh, creature from outer space. So even though that's silly, we see more and more and more of that. So at some level is it's accurate. Uh, I can't talk with big words, um, getting people ready to yeah. uh, consider these kind of things. But, I mean, the word. <laughs> you've been around long enough to know about this uh, Brookings Institute document that was written in 1960 that basically outlines that the United States citizens would not react well to a first contact scenario. And uh, U.S. Space Command's rebranding of unidentified flying objects to unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAPs, why do that unless you're preparing to begin disclosing the uh, fact that we are not alone? Uh, good point. I personally am going to stick with UFO because everybody knows it. And let's just stick with what's familiar. I mean, they also, somebody tried to get us to uh, uh, have a separate classification of UFOs and called them, you know, what was it? Undersea UFOs. And they use different letters. I'm sorry. These vehicles are impervious and they can be in, in in the water. They can be in the air. They can go one to the other. Let's just use one name and keep life simple. Yeah, I, I wish it was that. <laughs> I, I don't know why they decided to do that. No one, they really don't have a good explanation. Uh, you've been reporting on UFOs for, for decades, Mary. What is your feeling? Uh, it seems to me that the the sightings are increasing and the and what's really, and we've had a NASA astronomer who's been taking pictures here in California of uh, of uh, craft that seem to come through, could be a portal of some kind, could be a stargate, we don't know. But it looks to me that these vehicles are either slowing down or they're taking their invisible fields off of their craft. So photographs are much clearer. What do you say to that? I agree. And another thing that uh, uh, your listeners can also check out for themselves is you can follow the International Space uh, Station's live video feed. Mm -hmm. And we post stuff from there every once in a while. And you'd be surprised at how many UFOs go zipping by that um, space station on a regular basis. Yeah, and it's funny. It, it, it's, they probably have so many that they can't always block them out. <laughs> no, they can't. They can't. They, <laughs> Which that, they that try. Camera's, the camera's always on, and no, they can't stop everything. Though sometimes they will immediately shut it down if if it appears that uh, there might be something even more significant happening. Yeah, it's interesting. Let's focus on the United States just for a minute. And uh, uh, I've been uh, reading and seeing images of this Skinwalker Ranch in Utah that looks like it's some kind of portal. There could be some underground uh, activities of some kind. In your opinion, where in the United States is there the uh, seems to be like waves of, of uh, UFOs and very odd uh, off-world types? Um, let's just narrow in. You mentioned Skinwalker. There are three 
um, ranches, all kind of in a line that go from like Utah down through Arizona. Hmm. Uh, one is Skinwalker. One is, I'm going to forget the other name. And the last one I can remember is the Stardust Ranch. Hmm. It Of the three, the Stardust Ranch is the only one that is still independently owned. Um, one of them was bought by some, I, I believe, the government. There now um, is a fence uh, all the way around it with military guards. So, yes, the government seems to be very, very interested in these portals. Um, the things that are coming through these portals aren't necessarily good. Uh, the one in at the Stardust Ranch, which is in Arizona, a place called Rainbow Valley, I believe. And uh, they have some nasty ones coming through there that, you know, are acting more like poltergeists and, you know, make people, uh, I mean, kill animals and do all sorts of nasty things. Uh, it's like the, according to the owner of the ranch, he feels like those ETs feel like they own that portal. And so mm. these humans that are living there are simply getting in the way. Um in reading his book and his account of it, that does seem to be the case. And sadly, the, this um, whole ET subject is both good and bad. You know, some people think they're all going to come down and save us. I'm sorry, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are those that are um, benevolent. Those There's those that come in and, and actually seem to heal, not seem, but heal people and do good things. Uh, those tend to look more like... Um, very evolved human beings, not like grays and reptilians. The reptilians, I haven't heard a darn good thing about them. Certainly don't want to ever confront one. Yeah. 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 It's interesting when you mentioned they're, uh, uh, they look kind of like us. There's, <laughs> there's this Nordic race from some planetary system that seems to be, uh, have a theme of their visits in different parts of the, uh, of our planet. Um, but you know it's funny because let me give I, you a con- let me give you a contrast on that. The yeah. Pleiadians are the ones that are the the Nordics, the ones that um, helped the Nazis come from. I hope I say this right, Aldebaran. They look like a very um, refined version of us, also blonde, blue eyes. You know the typical Aryan race. Huh. They helped the Nazis. So why would they do that? Uh, because as far as I can see, the Nazis didn't do anything uh, worthy of. Yeah, what's help. the? They're not uh, um, uh, malevolent people. This whole Nazi regime and the whole theme. Uh, why would an alien race help them? But obviously, we see uh, uh, saucer craft. We see some advanced weaponry that if they had actually been able to use it, we would have been in trouble. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And the very first UFOs that were man-made were made by the Germans. And, um, you know, for years, decades, uh, people thought that they, ETs were flying over Washington, DC in 1952. There was like a huge line of that that went across. Yeah. Uh, it's really kind of famous in UFO history. Uh, according to Werner von Braun, uh, those were built by the Nazis. You know, uh, it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense if we're having waves of off-world types flying in their advanced spacecraft and orbiting and uh, landing and, and sampling and, and, prob- and, and, and in some countries probably meeting with people, <laughs> not in the U.S. because it would be all over the place. But doesn't that make you see feel like, wait a minute, why are we waiting any longer? What, why can't this contact be made? Uh, 
there's a few people uh, or a population that would freak, but you know, it's time. It's really time. What, what do you say to that? It is not going fast enough. I uh, totally agree with you, and I don't have a good answer. I don't know why why they're delaying it. They, I mean, for example, um, the things that I found on Mars, I found two habitats that are contemporary structures: one in the southern hemisphere, one in the northern hemisphere, mm-hmm. and they're not small. the The smaller of the two is seven hundred feet in length. The larger of the two is 10 times that in length. Hmm. Um, but that's being kept from us. If it weren't for Google Earth, I, I wouldn't have known about it, but discovered yeah. them, discovered them five years apart. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to keep away from Google, uh, Earth Pro right now because I'm trying to finish a book, but I'll tell you, it is addicting once you get going, especially if you find an area that has been populated with and you can see the ruins. It's, it's just, mind-blowing what you can because uh, they're they're trying to cover up a lot of that too you can oh, see a whole lot there is yeah. um i found you know how we have the boxes that i talked about on yeah Android. we're going to get into this in a minute but go ahead give us the highlight. Found the same thing uh, well not the same thing but the box structures like a, a city complex uh, yeah. on mars i hadn't put that up on the website for just i don't know it seemed like instantly and suddenly it just was totally distorted the original city spread over two satellite photo strips. Wow. The one strip was totally replaced. Couldn't, it looked like something from the moon didn't even belong there. Yeah. The other one, they had simply blurred it. So all remnants of that uh, uh, city, which I think was contemporary uh, were erased. And the reason I think they're contemporary is because the edges of the, um, the walls I'll say uh, are rather sharp. Hmm. Or were rather sharp. Let's talk about Mars in a second. I want to get into this uh, amazing, uh, they look like ruins off the coast of California. And it's fascinating because Google Earth will will map uh, years and years and years of of imagery. And you can actually use a tool and go as far back as when they started collecting data up to present time. But uh, talk a little bit about off the, I think it's look like looks like off the of Los Angeles coast. There's some ruins there. All right, like Mary Hall got me started on Antarctica. Um, <laughs> somebody posted something in 2014 about this huge structure off of Malibu, and I'm talking huge. I measure the roof of it, and it's over three miles across. Um, I because it's at an angle, I was unable to measure the, these things for myself. Other people supposedly have. The roof is like 500 feet thick. Uh, there's columns that hold the roof up that um, are like in the neighborhood of 600 feet, I believe. And that got me started. So uh, over time, I cruised that whole coastline of the Pacific from Alaska, all uh, Canada, California, as far south as the Baja Peninsula. The one in the Baja Peninsula really fascinates me. Uh, It's in the Bay of California, which is between Baja and Mexico. And it definitely looks like an an airport or a, a runway. And I have a photo of that. And next to it, I have a photo of uh, a contemporary airport, and you can see how the structure is so, so similar. Uh, the difference only is in size. And the longest uh, airport runway in the world today is just over three miles in length. This thing is 89 miles in length. 
So whatever's coming in is huge. And I don't know if we're dealing with things that are currently going on. I suspect we're not. I suspect that these are remnants from an ancient time. Yeah, perhaps it even perhaps it even supports the 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 theories of um, uh, Lemuria or Mu or Pan, the continent that once existed in the Pacific. That runway is fascinating, but I got to tell you, the one that really is uh, quite startling is the uh, the evidence of some kind of building south of Long Beach, California. Uh, This raised. Uh, it, it looks like it could be the foundations to a community, or it could be. Um, well, what do you say? You call them ruins, but it's it's quite startling how they ri- rise out of the floor of the ocean. Um, that's an optical illusion. That's like a footprint. It's like a shoe print into something. It's like the oh. old, old foundation for something, and it does. Oh. It'll play tricks on your eyes. You don't actually tell us how big it is, but it looks fairly substantial. Um, I put a yellow line. We're talking about south of Long Beach, right? That is, yeah. Right. Yes, right. That, there is a yellow line next to it, and that's uh, 1,610 yards long, multiplied mm-hmm. by three if you want it in feet. So that gives you some idea of the size. It's huge. <laughs> and has anyone else co- uh, collaborated with you or confirmed that this uh, – because you actually give the site coordinates, which is quite generous of you. A lot of people wouldn't do that because they'd be afraid of it being whited out or erased from the. And uh, there's still that risk. There's still that risk. But everything yeah. in this book gives the people coordinates, if at all possible. We're going to take a short commercial break and we will return with Mary Joyce and her new book, Spy in the Sky. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guest today is investigative journalist Mary Joyce, and she has written a new book called Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. And this is her accumulation of many years of research of what looks to be major cover-ups by NASA, U.S. Space Command, and other governmental agencies that are not disclosing what appears to be first contact. Talk about West Gorda. West Gorda. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, I found an unusual pattern, equal spaced independent lines on the ocean floor, uh, west of the town of Gorda. Um, yeah. Big, close to Big Sur State Park. That's up in my area. It's just amazing. Well, I'm glad you're close to it. You have to get your <laughs> get your scuba diving gear on and plunge down there, see what you can see. But uh, it looks it looks like a farmer's field or somebody who's been uh, mowing the the golf course uh, because they're perpendicular lines and they do go in two different directions and they're big. Um, um, let's see, the longest length in one is uh, 25 miles and 28 miles in the other direction. So it's no small farmer's field. Yeah. And what do we know about the depth of these uh, anomalies, these potential cities and things like that? Are, are there many miles underwater or like 100 feet or what? Hard to say, isn't it? I I, I failed on that one. I do not know. <laughs> well, I do believe that there is a tool where I probably could have figured that out. I just didn't. Sorry. I like to know about a tool on, on Google Earth if they're uh, if they've added one, because I think that that would be a real plus for those who are into underwater uh, exploration. You know, this is the big problem we're dealing with right now is because of the, the uh, history, the thousands of years that the, the ice caps have melted and the water levels raising, we don't know what sits off the coast, coast of different <laughs> countries. It could be significant ruins. Um, that's right. I don't, I don't know quite how to respond to that, but you're absolutely right. And I think much more will be discovered. Talk about this, uh, ancient Atlantis off of the, uh, coast of Florida. Well, let me tell you how that got started because that does have a backstory. At one time I lived on Cocoa beach between Patrick air force base and the Kennedy space center that sparked much of my interest in many of these things. But there is a pier there with a, a restaurant and a bar. And I was there with a friend years ago and got into a conversation with a young couple who were divers. And they were still excited about something they had found off the coast of Vero Beach. And it was a pyramid uh, beneath the water. That is the first time I ever heard about that. And that would have been in the late 80s. Mm. <clears throat> 
again, using Google Earth, I tried to find some of these things for myself. It's difficult because the Atlantic Ocean has a sandy bottom and it will shift, the sand will shift. And um, even the man who worked with um, um, Mel Fisher with the Atosha Mm -hmm. discovery down in the Keys, he did exploring along there. And sometimes he would fly over the ocean really low in a small plane after a storm because a storm will move the sand and these things will appear. And um, in the book, I do have uh, one of the pyramids I found using Google Earth just south of Paradise Island, which is where NASA is. Yeah, you actually have a whole page here where you show two undersea pyramids in the Bahamas, uh, New Providence Island in the Bahamas. Was, are these a couple of those photographs that this guy took? Uh, no, these are these. This is off of Google. I went. The, uh, yeah, these are Google images. I went and found them for myself. Oh my god! And you actually give up the uh, coordinates to the. I'm looking at. Uh, the two actual pyramid shapes at the very bottom of this page. And you're saying that the second pyramid is 325 feet in length. That's a monster. Yeah. They're not small, but again, we talk about they, the famous they trying to hide everything Um, uh, on the page. After what you're looking at, I show um, the picture as I found it originally. And then I show where they instantly put in, uh, a photo strip right over where those pyramids are. Can you see that on the next page? I'm on page right. page 56. You see yeah. the, the pyramids right yeah. next on the next page without turning the page. The first picture is the one I found originally. Then after I posted it, see that little. Oh, they put a piece of tape the, across there. Or well, no, it's a photo strip. They put a photo strip over where those pyramids are. So. That happened rather quickly. So why are they hiding ancient pyramids? Why? Why, why, why? Yeah. I I do not have good answers. Why are they so threatened by imaging uh, images of ancient buildings and pyramids? I just don't understand. That I totally don't understand. Like I said, I understand why they're trying to hide the future things that they're doing on Mars why they're hiding ancient history here on our planet is just beyond me. Doesn't make any sense. Let's jump into one of my favorite subjects, which is the images on the planet Mars. You have a fabulous image of what you call a uh, uh, crashed aircraft site. And you have somehow imaged the entire uh crash landing strip and it's disturbance of the the uh, surface of the planet and then what looks like the partial body of a saucer sticking out from the ground talk a little bit about this amazing photo are you talking about uh, the one and only black and white one is that the one you're talking about about Uh, i'll tell you exactly there's two crashed ones in the book and it is the black and white one yes second black and white one that is the smaller craft um and some of those marks you see on the way to it is where the, the sand or the soil has been falling into uh, the trench that was created by this disc-shaped uh, saucer uh, crash landing on Mars. What's so amazing is is that you're able to, to focus in on the uh, trail 
that was left by this this uh, craft. <laughs> and it's also true of the of the uh, uh, second crash one that's on the opposite page, and uh, the the skid mark. Yeah, forty plus. It was more than forty four hundred feet long. That's getting close to being a mile, and you yeah. can see the skid mark. And uh, the actual craft is um, a little over four hundred feet in diameter. So that and circular it, it, object it, it crashes into the soil of the planet also. So the circular object on the lower uh, image, lower photograph, that's the actual craft itself. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's huge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, this opens people's minds when they see things like this. Yeah. Um, And then you have this full page uh, that describes uh, Professor uh, Ashid talking about U.S. uh, uh, astronauts working with ETs on Mars. What um, Repeat a little bit about what he said. Does he actually... Uh, admit that there is a, a special black ops program where ETs are working with Earth humans. Yeah, the, the, this whole uh, article from the Jerusalem Post uh, is quoting him. Though that's not somebody summarizing what he said. Those are his words. How can he possibly be alive today after sta- <laughs> making those statements? I think he got. Well, I think if he died or got killed in some mysterious way, he is well known. And I think it would be held as highly suspicious, and they probably don't want to do that. In fact, many of the whistleblowers feel like the safest thing they can do for themselves is to really go public, because then if something happens to them, um, many people will be highly suspicious of it. And that may indeed be their protection. But he just simply doesn't give a hoot. He He's had his career. He's done well. Um, and he's just decided to be honest. Uh, you quote here uh, in this article, uh, in the December 8th, 2020 issue of the Jerusalem Post, uh, Ashid went public about the long-term involvement of Israel and the United States with the Galactic Federation, which is an alliance of various alien races. Now, I've joked about that, uh, kind of a Star Trek uh, takeoff of the the, the planetary collective supporting uh, exploration but what do you how do you decode that galactic uh, federation um my understanding which i have heard from many directions um is that there are many different alien uh races that have come to planet earth we're sort of like a a nursery or a an experimental farm or you know because Mm -hmm. i we are a blending of uh, many of these uh, ETs and their their DNA. So um, the Galactic Federation supposedly are ETs that are benevolent and not the bad guys. In other words, you're mm-hmm. not going to find the reptilians, as far as I know, involved with that. You know, I, I, I have to be suspicious because, you know, I, I I'm looking at this uh, – quote the other one where it says the ufos have asked not to publish that they are here humanity is not ready yet trump was on the verge of revealing but the aliens in the galactic federation are saying wait let people calm down first they don't want to start uh mass hysteria they want to first make us sane and understanding well look social media has this all over the place there's literally 
uh, thousands of, of sites and coverage where they're photographing, imaging, and posting thousands of these aircraft, thousands of these, thousands of these UFOs. We know they're here. It's not like we're going to freak out. What I mean, this makes me suspicious that this is like not really uh, legit. Simply because of all the social media. I mean, we're ready. We've been ready for probably a decade, don't you think? Uh, most of us, again, there, uh, there's a surprising number who probably aren't ready for it. But uh, I don't think they should rule the world. By the way, the very next page after um, the story about um, that we're just talking about, I talk about discovering 27 entrances into Mars. These are contemporary, and I discover them simply because I decided to do things differently. Uh, Instead of going from east to west or west to east when uh, going around Mars or any other planet, I decided to go from north to south and do the vertical. If I... That's the only way I would have discovered this line of 27 entrances into Mars, all lined up and stretched out over 16 miles. And they are square cut. They look like uh, hangar entrances or garage entrances. Um, They vary in size from in round figures, 400 feet in diameter. And the largest one that I was able to measure was uh, over a thousand feet. Um, So some pretty big craft can go into these. I'm actually looking at page 10. It's kind of a mind blower. And you reference these size uh, as being, well, you say the Boeing 747 has a wingspan of 224 feet. These are uh, average 431 feet and 1,881 feet in length. So that would be easy uh, to to store a good sized plane. Absolutely, and 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 they talk about um, they're cooperating with the aliens, uh, the American astronauts beneath yeah. the Earth or beneath the Mars. And my goodness, uh, doesn't this look like a major way for people to get in there? If, mm. if the Galactic Federation is involved, shoot, they can fly in from all over the place. Talk about your your feelings about. Uh, Earthlings already being there in terms of uh, black ops projects. Absolutely. And I, I don't know what to label them. I, I try to stay away from some of these labels. But um, as I mentioned earlier, I have found a habitat, uh, which would be like a contained facility where you can uh, be self-sufficient on the planet. I found one in the Northern hemisphere and one in the Southern hemisphere. Um, those are contemporary. So those are being used as living quarters for somebody. Hmm. You know, one of my big beefs is there's profound evidence of uh, ancient and, and even some recent ruins uh, having to do with the guesswork is that there was a nuclear explosion uh, millions of years ago. But uh, talk a little bit about the evidence of structural cover-ups on Mars. I have years ago when I was looking at Mars a lot closer and I had more time, I would see an area that had definite ruins, definite uh, pyramidal structures, very clean uh, geometric lines, cuts and so forth. And then a week or a month later, that whole area would be covered up and you wouldn't even know it was there. And thankfully I had the coordinates to prove it, but talk a little bit about this uh, 
this uh, cover-up that's going on with uh, obvious uh, ruins on Mars? Uh, the very last research that I was doing before I began to do this book uh, involved looking for signs of contemporary life where there uh, is most likely water. And there's, an, uh, there's a, a project called SWIM, and I have to look at cheater notes. It stands for Subsurface Water Ice Mapping on Mars. So I have found a general location map of where the water is most likely, and that's where I started looking. Well, then when I zoom in, somebody's taken like a um, kind of a reddish color paint and just done swatches in different directions over this area where I found it. And there are track marks. I don't know exactly what they are, but there are track marks uh, in the same area um, as these two places that have been uh, covered up with uh, red brush strokes. Mm. Uh, that was the most recent thing. But I seem to be onto something that uh, these kind of structures are contemporary structures are going to be found where water is most likely. Mm. Yeah, I got to ask you about that. I'm looking at this uh, reference, this blood co- uh, blood red cover up and tracks on Mars. Is that red? Is that like a mistake, like a, a, a photo? paint that's uh, used prior to a blot out or something? That is a deliberate effort to blot out whatever is on that um, photo strip. Hmm. It's just so strange. Talk a little bit about this, uh, what you say looks like train tracks on Mars. It goes for hundreds of miles, and it is um, on two different uh, pieces of photograph. One's light, one's dark. And you generously have given us the coordinates. In fact, I have to say this to you listeners. Uh, Mary has given coordinates to every single image that she's posted in this book, which I'm a little nervous about because, as we mentioned a while ago, it could be the beginning and the end of being able to see where these places are. But I, I applaud you for doing that, Mary. But talk about these train tracks. Well, it looks like a train track, and I've put a marker right next to something that looks like a vehicle of some kind on this track. And uh, <clears throat> the track <clears throat> goes through two craters, and it's difficult to see, but there are two um, rectangular shapes within the second crater, which is where the track ends, which makes me think that perhaps, you know, there is some kind of um, <clears throat> structure there. Uh, what makes this picture interesting is the photo strip right next to it is totally different and doesn't show the track at all. You know, it's funny because I'm looking at where you put the uh, marker, the the uh, uh, the pen, and there's a white vehicle directly on the track with a pretty good size shadow. It from from the uh, uh, the the uh, space of the satellite shooting down that image. That vehicle must be monstrous. Like a um, like like a like a huge uh, city block of vehicle with wheels or something. It's huge. It's got to be bigger than our regular rail car <laughs> by several hundred feet. <laughs> it's, it's definitely it's a, bigger. Yeah. Um, there's so much to like in this book that uh, those of you listening, you got to get it. It's very challenging. Uh, as a podcast host to recommend 
images that come from the internet because so many times there's, they've been manipulated by special uh, special effects software and so on. Uh, would you say that all of your photographs are solid, verifiable uh, images, Mary, that, that you've been looking at or your, uh, your fans of your website have been tracking? Uh, I absolutely can swear that I have found these on my own and have confirmed that they're there. Um, I, I don't know what else I can say. Well, that's and good. <laughs> this, book, this book is a mission. I mean, uh, this is not a moneymaker for me. It costs too much to print a full color um, book. Yeah. And um, you, you couldn't charge what it costs to really produce it because I have produced it myself. I didn't want anybody interfering with it. I didn't want to have to be accountable to anybody. I didn't want anybody else to get their hands on it and screw it up. And uh, thank goodness I have, among many things in my background, the training to be a graphic artist. And I have been involved in book production for um, talking children's books for Texas Instruments. So I know Mm -hmm. how to do it. And uh, it takes a lot of work, but I did it myself just to protect this information and to get it out there. I love it. I want you to talk a little bit about a whole section of your book that is um, not only an interview, but it is uh, uh, specifics about what NASA is doing. And this is the NASA employee, Donna Hare. Unfortunately, she passed away before I could get her on the podcast. Uh, She just passed recently, but talk a little bit about the importance of her revelation. Um, she had wonderful credentials, and you must know that already if you were planning to have her on the show. Yes. Um, she was a photographic technician at NASA. She worked in their made in the building with the photo lab. Um, she was an award-winning uh, illustrator for NASA. And in 1995, she decided to be a whistleblower, and she went on a Washington, D.C. radio program and um told about um, the UFOs that were in the photographs and how those photographs were being uh, tampered with. Um, and so that people would know about what was on the moon, which is what she focused on. And uh, it's, it's really quite incredible. Um, <clears throat> she told one story where a guard at um, the photo lab, his job was to also burn UFO photos and he took extra time to look at one and he was hit on the back of the head with a rifle butt by a military guard because he wasn't supposed to take time to look at those things. Um, that's, that's pretty drastic to knock a man out with a gun. Uh, but, uh, but that is a story that she told firsthand. Um, she also apparently it, this must've been early in her life. She had dated a man who, uh, was involved in NASA, and she used strange words, so I don't know exactly what he did. She said he was <clears throat> in confinement with the astronauts when they came back from their moon mission. She didn't say he was an astronaut, but he was in quarantine with the astronauts. Whoever he was um, uh, told her also about uh, the structures on the moon. That's fascinating. You know, I was just reading some of this uh, interview that she gave, and she says something that's amazing, but th- it does make sense because of what the astronauts said on the Apollo trips. Uh, quote in this uh, article, it says every moon trip, uh, has been followed by craft, by saucers, by ETs. Every astronaut that went to the moon knew that they were being shadowed. What is, what is that? I mean, that's fairly 
substantial for her to say something like that. Yeah, I, I really do believe that. And um, one of the people that I have interviewed and actually got to meet in person was Clark McClellan, who was with NASA for um, 35 years as an aerospace engineer. He was also trained as an astronaut. So we, he could be in mission control at Kennedy Space Center. If something went wrong with the craft, <clears throat> excuse me, he could um, take over controls, if at all possible, from mission control. Hmm. And when he was um, monitoring one of these uh, uh, space missions, he was looking at the screen that showed the open bay of the shuttle. And there were two American astronauts and a very tall E.T., uh, in a spacesuit in the open bay, and the um, the, the craft uh, that the ET came in was parked at the end of it. Um, so there's many many people who have seen um, ETs related to the moon. Wow! Yeah, this is a very thorough interview she gave, and and for those of you listening, it really is a, a great addition. Uh, an important addition to this book uh, that we are talking about today, Spy in the Sky. Mary, as we come to the close of our uh, interview today, what is, I mean, obviously you're getting this out so people can really get a sense of what's out there, but uh, you're in this all the time, almost 24-7. This is part of what you're all about to be a whistleblower, to be a photo journalist, to, to present this material. What is your prediction? What do you feel is, you know, uh, a good timeline for disclosure of some kind to come out rather than this cover-up? Because the cover-up is just the, the social media is, is destroying their ability to cover everything up. They can't do it because it's just out there. But what do you say about first or disclosure? Everybody who's trying to get this information out, like you and me, um, we have to just keep pushing that because the government is only going to reveal what they're forced to reveal. And um, it's a grassroots effort to present this information. And this book that I've done is a part of that effort. The show that you do is a part of that effort. And that's mm -hmm. what will make the changes. And it won't come. The government just won't suddenly decide they're going to tell us. They'll have to be back in a corner, and then they will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so funny, too. Uh, on your wonderful website, you have articles that you've written in photographs, and it seems like every single month there's new sightings. There's a new craft. There's a new – I mean, we, we could easily say that on a daily basis people are seeing UFOs, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And I don't even begin to post it all because after a while, so many of these sightings look the same. And it's kind yeah. of boring just to kind of see the same thing all the time. So now the standards are a little higher. We have to see something better. We have to see something, you know, more extensive uh, yeah. before we even post it. Otherwise, I get bored. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's so it's everyday news now. Before I let you go, are there any stories that you know about where a face-to-face -face contact is being made in around the world and they're uh, – they have a different narrative. Ooh, there are people who, boy, we go way off in the deep end on that one. Yes. There are people who have interacted face to face with the ETs. Uh, I, I wouldn't even want to start that this late in the show. 
<laughs> That's another show, another hour. <laughs> the book's called Spy in the Sky, Secrets and Cover-Ups on Earth and Beyond. My guest today has been Mary A. Joyce. Mary, as always, a wonderful uh, hour with you. I uh, w- Tell people where they can get the book. It's, uh, it's available on um, Amazon, but where else can they get it? Uh, right now, that's it. Unless you happen to live in my hometown and the local bookstore has it. Um, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so anyhow, it's easy to find. You don't have to type the whole title in. Just type in uh, Spy in the Sky and my name, Mary Joyce, which is just conventional spelling. Spy in the Sky, Mary Joyce. And the website <clears throat> where all of this stuff debuted first uh, is called um, <laughs> skyshipsovercashers.com. And the first three words are easy to spell, sky ships over. Cashers is spelled like a cashier at the grocery store. It's a mountaintop town here in North Carolina uh, where we first began to see just a, a very unusual number of UFOs. But the that started the, the website. We've certainly grown far beyond that. All right. All right. As fun as always, uh, Mary, uh, success on this book and Let's hope you can put another one together. It'd be great to have one on uh, the ETs that have uh, interacted with humanoids on Earth. All right. (laughs) I like that title. (laughs) All right. Hey, thanks for joining me. Thank you. I enjoyed talking to you. Take care. There are a number of references to this new book, Spy in the Sky, on uh, Mary Joyce's website, which is skyshipsovercashiers.com. And um, wow, there is uh, some of the photos are there too. I was just noticing that. This is a great book on many levels. The, the real fascination I have and uh, is what she did, which is including color photographs from start to finish. Very, very costly. This is why she self-published the book, because no author or no publisher is going to spend time uh, or the cost of reproducing color photographs. It's just too costly to do that. So you can go to Amazon uh, or the website uh, skyshipsovercashiers.com and order the book and uh, check it out. Lots of fascinating data. I hope that we're going to see some of the evidence of Mars in the next uh, few years, simply because there is so much. They got to really steer that rover, that Mars rover, <laughs> away from the significant ruins that are strewed all over the planet of Mars. So, anyhow, it was great to have Mary on the program. Hey, I want to remind you next week we have a special appearance by the archaeologist host, Mohammed Embriam. He is coming on to talk to us about the sacred obelisks of Egypt, how they were made, what their purposes were, and we'll also get a prelude to the 2023 uh, Grand Egyptian Tour 4, which has been uh, listed now. It is May 2nd through the 14th of 2023. He also is uh, presenting a special announcement. He is giving a significant discount code to our listeners. This is kind of a, I guess you could call it an early bird special. You, you, If you use this code, you get an additional discount off the cost, which, by the way, is significant to begin with. And uh, this launches our 
spring 2023 tour to Egypt. It is and, and has been simply the best tour I've ever been on, <laughs> just because he knows these off-the-beaten-path temples, sites, and most importantly, has access and good connections with the uh, uh, authorities, the administrative body that runs the Antiquities Department, which are the archaeologists, the anthropologists, and the Egyptologists that run these facilities throughout Egypt. This is a tour not to be missed. By the way, we will make more announcements, but if you want to go to the earthancients.com website, you can see the entire itinerary. And uh, we're already a third full because we had people that couldn't make it last year because of COVID and uh, asked to have their uh, deposits kept in line. So uh, again, very special, very unique. Uh, we'll hear more directly from Mohammed Embraham next Saturday. That is the 6th of August. Can you believe it? We're going to be right into August. So don't miss that program and a chance to learn about obelisks, but more importantly, a chance to hear about the tour coming up next year. Hey, if you're enjoying Earth Ancients, Destiny, or even the special Earth Ancients Special Edition, the archives, please consider becoming a subscriber. For as little as five bucks a month, you support the work we do here on this podcast and the others. What we ask is that you go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Earth Ancients and register. They take your ATM card or credit card, they deduct it every month, you don't have to even think about it, and you keep us afloat. Hey, we got a ton of great gifts for you, we're up to about 22 ebooks. these are books donated by many of the guests and authors to uh, Earth Ancients and Destiny. And there are uh, unpublished interviews. There's some galleries. And if you're not a big fan of the uh, regular podcast with all the ads, we post a commercial-free version every week. You can listen to the entire program without commercials if that's a problem for you. So come out and join us. Become a subscriber. Go to patreon.com forward slash earthancients. We really appreciate it. All right, that's it for this week. I want to thank my guest today, Mary A. Joyce, and uh, presenting her new book, Spy in the Sky. As always, the team of Mark Foster and Ruth Thomas, you guys rock, and everybody else who makes the show happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, take care, be well, and talk to you next time.